Welcome to Wild Quincy, a podcast that looks into the little-known and forgotten past of Quincy, Illinois. What's beneath our feet? In this episode, we do some digging to uncover all the underground mysteries of Quincy. From natural caves to literal beer caves, we'll uncover them all. So grab your shovels and come with us as we find out about all the buried mysteries. Coming up next... Here's your host, Chris Ketters and Travis Hoffman. Travis, wrapping up another season, getting ever so closer to the end of season three of Wild Quincy. It's been a wild ride, but uh, we got a little more to cover, including uh, what's coming up today. But first of all, how are you doing? I can't complain. I can't complain. It's a lovely weekend. Is uh, We got a a taste of fall is creeping in, and then an 85-degree day afterwards. So who knows? We're all going to have hypothermia. (laughs) pneumonia <laughs> exactly well hey we got uh, a lot coming up we don't want to waste a lot of time here but we have a couple things we have to do in the department of uh, uh laundry and and cleanup uh, and all that stuff the, the chores as we mentioned and travis what are the chores we got to take care of before we well we have the pleasure of thanking another patreon wild thing marcy inman joined the ranks of the wild things at the eight dollar kelly salad bar level and we appreciate that she has unlocked a crap ton of of additional episodes on the Patreon side, more than more than I want to say thirty, maybe thirty plus yeah. episodes. And uh, if you're interested in doing the same and showing some support to Wild Quincy, you can uh, jump on over to our Patreon side and uh, hear the After Dark episodes where you kind of let our well, I let my hair down. <laughs> and uh, and <laughs> sorry, little, what are you saying, Charles? There, I don't Chris. have any hair. Oh, yeah, there's some in the back. Um, <laughs> it's a little shiny in the front. No. Um, yeah, so we'd appreciate your support, and we appreciate Marcy's support. That's all the housekeeping I got. Let's get rolling here, Chris. Make sure if you are not on Patreon, uh, the last episode was a prime example of reasons <laughs> you should be on it on Patreon. We yes. got into uh, bears on roller skates and the conversation of what sort of animal would be best on roller skates. So those are the kind of discussions that we have, and you'll probably hear more of that coming up in just a few minutes uh, on our promo. But Travis, it is time for the question of the day. Are you ready for this one? Yeah, lay it on me, Chris. All right. So for nearly a hundred years, the CB and Q Railroad was the way to get from Quincy to Chicago, okay? Okay. Not much remains today uh, of the historic railroad in Quincy except for one building. Tell me where that building's located at in Quincy. That's your question. I'm not going to give you choices. You're going to have to just tell me. Okay. So uh, we'll have that answer. But again, the question's this. Uh, You know, that CB&Q Railroad's been around for 100 years. It's the way to get from Quincy to Chicago. Only one building remains of that that company in Quincy. Where is that building located? I I got a pretty good idea. I might be be totally going the wrong direction, but we'll find out later in the show, Chris. We'll have that at the end of the episode. But this one, uh, we're not going to be talking about railroads. We're going to be talking about the creepy, scary, dark underground and we're going to be talking about the underground of quincy and that's coming up next here on wild quincy here's what you missed on the latest after hours episode of wild quincy he would be so informal he would usually be sitting there propped back with his feet on the feet on like the 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 table of the judge right and it wasn't uncommon for him to leave the bench in the middle of court when the lawyers are giving their arguments and, like, talk to somebody in the crowd. Oh, and geez. so, you know, <laughs> the lawyers, like, sit there, like, like trying to make this amazing point the to the hell? judge. And he looks up and Douglas is not even there. Our After Hours episodes are available exclusively for Patreon members by going to patreon.com slash wildquincy. For just a couple dollars a month, not only will you double the amount of Wild Quincy episodes at your fingertips, but you'll also be supporting our efforts as we continue to dive into the wild and crazy history of our favorite town. Also, as a Patreon member, you can take part in our live events and Patreon-only outings, as well as having access to our regular episodes two days before they are released to the public. It's easy. Just head to patreon.com slash wildquincy. That's patreon, P-A-T-R-E-O-N dot com slash wildquincy and become a wild thing today. So Travis, time to dig in. <laughs> that was not intended. Good one. I know. Right out of the gate, right? That's right. Just, just 
right out of the right out of the tunnel. So, <laughs> all right, let's get serious here. Uh, we are going to talk about undergrounds in this episode. It's something that we've had on our our list for uh, a couple years now, and we wanted to uh, dig in again <laughs> to this. And so, we want to talk not only about the obvious stuff. We got uh, some underground mines in Quincy, but we're going to talk about some of the not so obvious stuff. Uh, and Travis did some research, got some information from some different people out there. And uh, Travis, you got a, like a wealth of information from just one post, right? Yeah, there's there's so much, and just little little tidbits of this, that, and the other stuff. We're gonna we're gonna focus more on stuff that can be kind of validated. Uh, there's a lot of folklore, and there's some fact, and we're gonna try and focus on the facts. And probably hit up some of the more folklore-oriented things, maybe in the Patreon episode, Chris. We'll see how it goes. Okay. Well, uh, with that, not only did we have a great post uh, that Travis had, and we had an amazing response on, but Travis and I actually had the opportunity to go do some uh, on-the-ground research uh, we're able to go and uh, with uh, uh, a guy that I work with, he works uh, for uh, Huber, and we were able to go into the underground mines. And Travis, give me your 200-foot uh, under-the-ground view of, of what you thought about taking that tour. It's, uh, it's bizarre. It's really otherworldly. The columns alone are just awe-inspiring the 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 columns that were cut out for you know structural support how much of a how how wide around do you figure those were chris oh man i don't know um 15 20 feet oh gosh no more than that you're looking like it was about you would take about a car about a it would take about a truck and a half per side just massive columns that were carved around and uh it's so bizarre the 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 way that modern facilities have kind of embraced that very rustic limestone you know cavern and you know here's a loading dock here and here's <laughs> you know here's a wall they built and there's some loading docks in, yeah. in the middle of this cave and the roads and the lights I mean it's just kind of surreal honestly yeah it's like a little community or like a it's almost like another whole city that's down there because uh, not only that you know and that's one of the things obviously and this is the first thing I said we when we drove down you if you're not completely familiar Gardner Expressway there's that one stoplight where you have a lot of industrial stuff at the entrances to the underground caves are right to the left so when you come to that stop light uh you go straight if you're going to go like towards the interstate or you take a left and go into the caves and as we were getting ready to go in there i told travis man i've drove this road for like 30 years and this is the first time that i've ever turned left at this intersection it's a little weird kind of going into the uh the unknown there is is the gate opens up, so to speak. Uh, but yeah, it's uh, it's a, a really consistent temperature down there. Uh, a crazy thing is, you know that you cross railroad tracks when you're going across 57 down there. Those railroad tracks go into the cave. Uh, so there's railroad cars in the cave. So there's tracks that are in the cave. Obviously, Cole's Wholesale is in there. We'll have some details on that in a minute. But they're continuously working. And just throw this out there real quick, Travis. Uh, I work with two guys that also work at Huber and they work uh, doing actual mining. So they take the limestone out of there. One of the guys, uh, hopefully we get this map. If we get this map, we'll post it on our uh, Facebook page. But Huber released a map a while back of the actual coverage area of the mine itself. Right. Uh, we don't have that yet. Hopefully we will by the time this gets released. But I was able to talk with the guy, one of the guys, and he gave me kind of an outline. We went on Google Earth and we started outlining the actual cave on the top of the surface. And when it all was said and done, Travis, 1.13 square miles is the total coverage area of the underground caves. Wow. that's it, It's one thing to just say it, but then to actually see it, it really kind of blows your mind to, to realize how much is happening under that part of... I, You know, what surprised me the most, Chris, was I, in my mind... I just assumed that the the cave went underneath a lot more residential area, but it really doesn't. And that was something they discussed was that uh, they have to get mineral rights from the people that own the property above. And so when you get into residential areas like around Sheridan Swim Club, things like that, in that section, there's a lot of residential housing, a lot of uh, subdivisions in there. Uh, They did not get the rights to be able to do that. So when they're mining underneath here, underneath the ground, they are actually know above what's above them, and they are contouring their 
uh, mining around those houses. So you have these huge pillars that support pretty much a, a huge area. And then you have these houses that are being literally gone around underground so they don't affect the actual houses up above since they don't have the mineral rights. It's pretty crazy. Yeah, yeah I mean, it's worth noting that we, we obviously weren't able to access a lot of the cave because that you need special regulations, OSHA, MSHA, uh, clearance and and we just simply don't have that and we would never want to jeopardize somebody you know yeah. by by trying to get there we encourage every I think it's important to say this all the stuff we talk about let's strongly discourage any kind of any kind of trespassing yes um, this this kind of stuff could be a safety liability for yourself don't don't do anything stupid with the information you get tonight on this episode well and even in the general locations up front you know they have uh where Coles keeps a lot of their storage at i mean technically you can go in there yeah. however uh we were with somebody that spends a lot of time down there so he was even at the point where he's like you need to be very careful going around this corner because this is a bad traffic area and like trucks will come hauling around here oh it was so, a totally yeah really yeah. hard turn yeah so so to know to to be with somebody that understands and knows how the cave works and where this where to be safe at uh, that's very important it's very wet down there by the way and that's something we'll talk about in a little bit here but uh, they changed the airflow recently down there it used to be very dry where they had to spread water all the time because it was so dry now it's actually reversed it humidity's higher it's made it wet down there and so it's kind of uh, muddy and uh, kind of just wet and I don't soggy in general, if you will. Unfortunately, or fortunately, I guess you had to look at the portion of area we were in seemed big, but in all reality, it was like maybe like ten percent of the total size of the cave. Yeah, it's 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 so disorienting to get in there. There's signs that kind of reference uh, streets and uh, and kind of locate give you an idea of where you're at, but it would be extremely easy to get turned around down there in in a heartbeat. Um, but yeah, it's, it's, it's so, it's just such a bizarre world. If you are really curious, rather than going down there and trolling around where you shouldn't be, go check out YouTube. There's, there's some videos from down there and that'll, that'll hopefully uh, tie over any curiosity. That you, for now, Travis, you found some, like some stats, like some dates and yeah, stuff, right? Yeah, a little history behind it. Uh, it's been a fixture in this area for a long time, dating all the way back, even prior, I'm sure. But the first couple mentions of it in the historical record uh, involved Black White Limestone Company, led by T.P. Black, which started in uh, 1917, and they were they were pretty much milling, you know going after the limestone there. So you know whether there was a natural cavern there in the first place, or the exposure was such a good you know easy way to get the limestone. I'm not 100 percent sure. We'd love to hear anybody that knows for sure. Uh, and then what's interesting is is you, I've always kind of equivocated that spot to be you know, mining an, an underground storage recently. And I, obviously Coles has a huge you know, mm-hmm. correlation to that. But in 1934, an article in the Quincy Herald Whig, actually, uh, of, of all things, there was a booming industry that, that took home in that cave that was no longer being used by the Black Limestone Company. And that was, uh, it was a Midland Mushroom Company. And this was managed by Frank E. Rubble. This was around 1939. It, the, the process had been going for a few years. And the conditions were perfect, uh, just perfect, which I believe I believe it was 100% humidity at the time. And again, 60 degrees, which is probably pretty, pretty close to today. But they grew white button-top mushrooms. And 50 pounds a day were harvested in the subterranean farms. And they just had these huge growing beds. And it was so successful that they planned, they opened a cannery, or they planned to open a cannery. I didn't hear a lot of the aftermath of this article. It was really more an anticipation of opening a cannery across the, the road there. And, uh, you know, they were going to employ 25 workers. So at the time of the article, they had 4,500 feet of growing beds. And they were planning to expand it to 150,000 square feet of growing space for mushroom beds. So it, wild, wild to think that there was such an industry <laughs> happening, you know, I- underground here in town uh, yeah. for mushrooms. Yeah. Um, so yeah, and then later, later, I don't know exactly what led to the demise of that particular, particular industry, but underground warehouses was started in May of 1969, and that was through a joint venture of the calcium carbonate and J.M. Huber, and then I believe in 1974, Huber acquired uh, the majority 
of of the caves. And we're not 100% sure what the relationship is between uh, Coles and Huber on ownership. Obviously, both have a large role um, in that in that entity. So. So, yeah, definitely a fixture of the region. There's a lot of talk in the historical articles. People used to speculate, thinking, dang, that'd make an awesome pirate cave. <laughs> there was a lot of, in the article about mushrooms, there was all this uh, chit-chat about kids saying, oh, man, that'd be a great place for pirates. Pirates, wow. Yeah, and apparently uh, before it was too formalized, just a little tidbit, a lot of people in wintertime the, near the opening, the water would freeze, and they would do ice skating. Oh, wow. Near near the openings there. Oh, cool. Very cool. My impressions, my first thoughts of it were for the nuclear side of things. And I always was under the impression that it was something that you could use as a nuclear fallout shelter. Fallout shelter, shelter. yeah. 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 But uh, I've been looking into that a little bit more and starting to understand how the system, how the cave system works. I don't think it would actually work for that. We did have a discussion about how huge it is and, and how literally you could put the whole population of Quincy and then some into this cave system. And and there'd be plenty of room and actually plenty of food with coals there um, that you could survive. But the problem, the single problem with this caving system is it's not airtight. So if you had 39,000, 40,000 people in this cave, eventually you're going to run out of air. Uh, okay. Because yeah. if they closed off the entrances because of the uh, because of the uh, nuclear fallout and all that stuff, then you'd eventually run out of air with forty thousand people. But they would all fit comfortably and have a lot of food to eat for a day or two. That kind of brings everything into scope on just how big a structure this is. You know that there'd be plenty of room. Yeah. Um. So that's a history, Chris. What what kind of tasty tidbits have you found out? When uh, picking the brains of those you know who who work down there. So again, I work with the guy, a couple guys that work there, and so I've been able to uh, kind of. I sat down and I just started writing notes and asking questions, and so kind of have a hodgepodge of things. But I'll start out with the one that I think is the most interesting here, and that has to do with the blasting, and that okay. you know it's an active mine, and literally, Travis, they do blasting every day at three thirty p.m. Every day. Every day. Holy cow. The chances of you noticing it if you're above ground are pretty slim. You got to be paying a lot of attention. But if you're right above where they're blasting, you might notice it a little bit. But in all honesty, you probably never would ever notice that there's blasting going on underneath. That's wild. When they do set off these blasts, it sends a shockwave through the cave. So, so again, think about this. We're looking down at, at uh, Gardner Expressway, and it's a good mile, two, three miles, probably, maybe two miles. I should actually look at the math of that. From like Sheridan Swim Club to the cave entrance, and this is where the blasting's going on right now is back in the very back because it's all, I mean, they're cleaned it all the way up to Sheridan. Anyway, when they blast... There is a shockwave that goes through the full cave, and it actually is felt at the entrance of the cave when the shockwave comes through. Boy, that's uh, that's got to be weird to get used to. Yeah. So again, like you said, when three thirty comes along, you're outside, you're sitting, you know, out in the out in out somewhere in the storage area at the warehouse, and you're like, oh, it's three thirty. There comes the blast of air from the from the explosion. I'd love to hear what that feels like. Yeah. If that, if that <laughs> I mean, is it going to knock your hat off, or is it like a little bit of wind you feel? I don't know. That's interesting. Interesting you bring that up because uh, there have been some some cave-ins. There have been some collapses. So, and we were uh, actually driving around after going around the caves trying to find some of those. There's been a couple that have recently happened uh, and that uh, they've had to haul gravel and fill in the holes. And they were pretty massive holes of collapses on the ground surface. So they've dealt with those. Again, the good thing about this is with them with mineral rights and they avoid residential areas for the most part. And so... When these collapses occur, uh, most uh, most likely it's happening in in places where it's just a field. And so far, been pretty fortunate that they haven't had instance like what we've. If you listen to Lost Boys in, in in Kansas City, where you know they did mining and collapse houses collapsed into the mine uh, mm, back in the wow. '60s. Uh, but anyway, there uh, when these collapses do happen, and, uh, you do get a, a lot of wind movement. And one of the things that they've talked about was that if there was ever a major collapse in there, that it would create 200 mile per hour winds through the actual tunnel. Wow. Yeah. That's what 200 miles an hour. Yeah. And also if, so you remember these massive pillars we were talking about just a few minutes ago, if a pillar would ever fall and collapse, it would create the same sort of wind speed. 
just I guess with suction and everything else. Yeah, with everything just, happening. Yep. The compounding effect of all that, it's just wild to think about. Man. A couple other things here for you. Uh, let's, uh, there's an underground spring. Really? The spring actually runs through the cave system. Uh, ironically enough, Neiman Pony Farm, uh, that's just, uh, I think it's, is that on 12th? 24th. I 24th. think it's on 24th. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They actually have, back in, this is in the mind area, we, so we weren't able to see it, but we were told about it, is that, uh, that there is a literally a pipe coming down from the ceiling and it goes into this water that's running. And this is where Neiman's Pony Farm gets their water pumped up from. So wow. you literally get to see the end result of having a water pump at the bottom of a, of a, a reservoir underground. That's crazy. Cool. Just think about that next time you drive by the, yes, right. the, the horse farm. That's crazy. Wow. So you can see the bottom of a water pump. That's so cool. You're going right over, right over. That's the cave underneath there. The other part mm. is, is actually along with that spring, there is also a massive waterfall. And uh, it was open for a while, and now they've diverted traffic for the mining's, miners that they don't use that area. And I'm not sure if it's because it's closed now or if because they just can diverted to a new section so they're not covering that area. But what they used to do was they would have to clean the like the excavators or the all the mining equipment, the trucks and stuff. What they would do is the water power was strong enough over this waterfall. They were able to drive their vehicles underneath the waterfall and completely <laughs> clean their vehicle off as they were driving. Sounds like through. a car washing under the ground. Exactly. So that wow. was uh, that was what that was. The ceilings uh, and Travis can can contest to this is that they're about 20 feet tall. So it's a really yeah. high ceiling. They put these things in the top to keep it from collapsing. They also have uh, these things that are called like reflectors that are on the ceiling. And back in the mining area, what we were told was that the ceiling has all these reflectors on it and they keep an eye on those reflectors because if for some reason the reflector falls, it's a suggestion that the ceiling is not stable and could collapse at any time. So, and they've had that happen quite a few times where they've looked up and seen a reflector that's been, that has moved or fallen is, 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 um, swinging. And yeah. so they know immediately they need to leave the area until somebody can come in and, and, and secure the ceiling of that area. So, wow. uh, you can tell how much, and obviously on that note, we've have had deaths in that cave system. Uh, a few, uh, at least two that I know of, uh, one was of a, a lady back, I want to say about 20 years ago now, if I'm not mistaken, that, uh, was back there and uh, a rock fell on her car and, and, and killed her immediately. And then there was another incident, I believe, with a worker back there. But unfortunately, it's not it's not a super safe thing. But obviously, Imshaw, who takes care of all the mining stuff, is is always there to make sure. I made the comment. I thought it was funny as we were driving around. There was a truck right next to the building. And I said, oh, there's a chalk behind that tire. And, he, and, and the guy that I, we were with was like, yeah, that's an Imshaw thing. <laughs> you have to put chalks behind tires, even if it's at a flat surface. Was like, oh, that's crazy. <laughs> yeah, yeah, just things you wouldn't think you know would be that big a deal are taken very seriously, and that that t- that talks to the magnitude of how safety is addressed in in those environments. Now, there's two things. Obviously, the thing that they're blasting for is limestone. There is a quote uh, that was has been said quite often that Quincy has the purest limestone in the United States. It's not food quality limestone, which that made me question what the heck is food quality <laughs> limestone? But uh, I, huh. I, ironically enough, that uh, there is a lot of, it comes into calcium, uh, and so there's a lot of limestone in stuff, like uh, like your aspirins, I believe. Like the oh, really? insides of aspirins are actually calcium, where your, ty- or your, uh, your medicine's at is actually on the outside of it. The rest is kind of like a filler. Um, and there's other things. Uh, toothpaste has a lot of, of, of limestone in it. But uh, Quincy's limestone is really not used very much for food. It's used more so for livestock, like for um, for additives for livestock uh, in okay. their feed uh, because it's not high enough quality for human consumption. Who knew that that many animals, including humans, were shoveling rocks in their face? <laughs> right? That's, uh, that's, that's That might be the takeaway for me. That's the cool. more that's you crazy. know. Da, 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 da. The fact that there's food grade limestone is very strange yes right raise several eyebrows on that one they do bring in a jamaican limestone uh, as far as uh, if I got this right, they do is bring spicier? in a uh, limestone. It's a spicier lime. Is it make white people dance? Limestone. Yeah. yeah, no. Um, uh, <laughs> it comes with a, a, a one of those things that you hit with. Never mind. Um, 
so they bring that in and actually import that stuff in. And so that stuff is used for some of the food grade uh, quality stuff. Also, uh, one last thing I had to bring up because this one's always questioned me. And I'm really, I was really excited to find out the information. Not so much to do with the cave, but kind of a little bit. There's more than one section of cave entrance. So you have the main one where the stoplights are at. But then right. you have another one just a little bit farther south. And then if you look, there's a little pond by it. And the, it's like a weird color around there and it's a red color and you're like why does it look like everything has been rusted here Uh, that is because of what is imported into Quincy and that is iron sulfate what happens is is that uh, there is a company downtown down there that uh, takes the iron sulfate off of the barges they dry it out really dry and so what happens the more they dry it out turns green and then it eventually turns white when it's completely dry however what happens with iron when it gets wet Rust. It creates rust. Yeah. And so what happens is everything's fine and dandy down there until it rains. And then all the dust of all that iron sulfite that was floating around the uh, area down there gets wet and turns red. And that's why if you garden Gardner Expressway, yeah, Gardner Expressway is completely red. Buildings down there are red. Everything is red. And that is why is because that iron sulfite that is in that is brought in to Quincy and processed. So That's interesting. I, I think a lot of people notice that. I, I do. I always have, but never knew why. So that's that's interesting. One thing that we were told is a piece of advice. If it is raining, do not go down to Gardner Expressway because you do not want to get that stuff on your vehicle. Yeah, find an alternate route. Yeah. Yes, do not do it if it's raining. And I can't tell you how many times I've gone down that road while it's raining. Now I'm like, not doing that anymore. Yeah, sorry, all you Hannibal commuters. <laughs> you got to take the long way. Yeah, yeah go, go a different way. So, But that is a look at Travis. Did I feel like I missed anything? I think I covered everything. I mean, the biggest thing to take away is, and we'll have this map that I that I created on our Facebook page, uh, but it is just such a massive area. And it's huge. It's huge. Not only that, they say that there's probably 50 to 70 more years of mining still available to them. That's what's crazy to me. Yeah. yeah. That there's so much more to go. And they have rights evidently continuing down uh, Illinois 57, actually all the way down to Marblehead. So those Mm. rights can continue for a while. Yeah, I know. I know we don't have all the information in front of us, but it'd be interesting to know how much progress they can make in like a year. Right. I got to think it's slow going. Yeah, you would think. uh, No, that's why. And and one thing we didn't talk about specifically is technically it's not a cave. It's a mine. Right. Well, that was a great insight, Chris. I know, and I appreciate those who were able to let us take a peek yeah. in there. And it, it's it's just one of those things you take for granted driving by, and just a whole world uh, exists in there that's so so weird. It's very otherworldly, and uh, very something that makes Quincy unique. Let's let's continue digging. And yes. let's go back to a little bit more because you know what? That is not the only underground that we have in Quincy. So give me this list, Travis, because I'm super I'm super interested to hear what you all have of these uh, potential or uh, known yeah. locations yeah. that are underground in Quincy. Yeah, it, it was kind of a weird topic to research because there's not a whole lot of information. By nature, these these passages and underground tunnels, be it new or old, you know, it's a safety concern in the grand scheme of things. People don't necessarily want this information floating around as a temptation because we're all very curious about that. What lies beneath us, the the places maybe we're not supposed to go or supposed to know about hmm. when in reality, a lot of them are just a utilitarian need to run, uh, run like sewer lines or different type of utilities. However, here's the list that I came up with of, factual, backed up by fact in in historical record of tunnels. There's a lot more we'll get into later in the Patreon episode that are a little little more hearsay. Okay. Uh, First on the list is Baldwin School. Baldwin School is said to have 14-foot wide and and 6.5-foot tall tunnels that followed the school's hallways and and cut across the building's mall. Now, these were installed in 1957 when construction first began, Uh, And, you know, they house the electrical, fiber optics, telephone lines, water lines, and other utility needs. Makes sense. Now, as as you know, the school systems in Quincy were recently overhauled in the last few years. And as the old portions of Baldwin were demolished, the the same had to happen with the existing tunnels for, for safety purposes. Those were filled. However... 
not all of Baldwin was destroyed, Chris. Right. When the new there was a section with the the auditorium as well as the the gym, Blue Devil Gym, and there may still be sealed off sections in Baldwin South, the south, the remaining portion of the, this tunnel system. At one point, there was a thought that they might keep the tunnel system in some areas and use it as a as a storm uh, storm shelter. Oh yeah. However, the logistics of getting, I think they said a number like 600 kids in, a, yeah. in an orderly fashion down to this level would not, it just wasn't reasonable without some kind of a large ramp system. So they decided, you know, it wasn't worth keeping on the, the portions. So yeah, Baldwin School, number one on the list. Hmm. Um, makes sense. Number two, Burton Cave. Maybe one of the only caves worth noting you know, Hannibal gets all the love with caves. Quincy, you know, just doesn't have a lot to offer. Burton Cave, even outside of Quincy. I found it real interesting. Years ago, there's lore, and I believe I believe this is a little bit more than lore, but this would have happened like around the Civil War. Half-brothers Johnny and Tommy Burns, who were between 8 and 10 years old, and some in some instances of this story, there was actually maybe four to five to six kids, were exploring the cave uh, outside their parents' request. And they went missing. There was a search party, lasted three days, and they eventually were able to find the kids who had fallen into like a well-like structure within the, the cave itself. All the boys were, were, you know, thankfully brought out pretty well unscathed. And the, the well-like structure they fell into was sealed in. And, you know, it's interesting, especially from you, Chris, you have a lot of experience with missing boys in, in potentially in caves through right. other ventures. So there's a little more, a little, a little, a little older on this side of the river with a lot happier of an ending. Aww. What I found really interesting is an article in the 1947 uh, Herald Whig gave us a little bit of a rundown of the actual cave. We all know that now it's blocked off and it's pretty much a refuge for bats. And there's a big graded center uh, on the, the opening of the cave. You can't get in there anymore unless you're officially licensed and have a reason to be there. And even then, you still it's it's impossible to get in. Yeah. Right. Right. So I really love seeing this this article. We'll get some some images from the article and post them. It shows a couple different features of the cave, which were pretty well known. And in 1947, Harold Wig reporters and photographers went into the cave and checked it out. And it's kind of, at the time, a lot of this has probably changed, you know, with the different settling and different filling, and maybe these things aren't accessible anymore. It sounds like there's a lot less of the cave today than there used to be. But back in the heyday, you would enter through a 30-foot uh, a thirty foot tunnel, basically mouth of the cave, which dropped off at a gentle slope and then leveled out into a room near the entrance where there was a natural bridge that came near the ceiling. And that passageway would swing to the left where there would be a, a they, they use the word spring in, in parentheses. So maybe it was more of a, in quotation marks rather, so perhaps it was more of an ongoing drip. And there was a stalactite mound that had a little depression in it. So basically it was a mound of a stalag. I always get the, the, those mixed up, the one mm-hmm. from the bottom. It had a little suppression in the top that made it look almost like a cup. Huh. And so this was like the drinking cup. And so that was the thing for all the kids to get a drink of the water huh. from the drinking cup. And if you were to keep on going, you would come across a window, a natural window in the caves in which you could pass through and go by what was called the Devil's Hitching Post, which that's a great name, right? The yeah. Devil's Hitching Post. <laughs> this was a stalagmite column. It sounds like the stalactite and the stalagmite had grown together to form an actual column that was several feet in diameter that was just pretty, you know, pretty cool looking. you got to say something about the devil, right? So at that point, a tunnel gradually went deeper into the cave, and it got smaller and smaller, requiring crouching down to actually pass through. And to the right of that, there was a jagged opening with a lot of sticky, mucky mud that led into the third part of the cave, which was a larger section that split open, providing two different routes that each actually ended up in the same location. And then the last was the last part of the cave was another room that uh, had several several stalactite mounds and was very slick and, and and wet because I think the natural uh, slope of the cave kind of made everything pool down there. So it was interesting to kind of see back in the heyday of uh, of just what 
the Burton Cave might have looked like to picnickers because it was a huge place to go, Chris. So actually, from what I this is the first I'm hearing of it of this actual uh, description of the entrance of this, and actually from even from the outside, you that sounds pretty accurate for what you said because it, when you at the entrance where the gates at, you can see to the right, and the right is kind of just a dead end. It's just a small room, right. but then to the left, you can tell that the left goes back and then it shoots back to the right. Mm. You can tell that continues on, and what you just said, I, I can picture that exactly, and I can also tell you this not that. I'm going to do a plug, but I'll go ahead and do it anyway. Uh, we have uh, myself and you guys remember Bobby from a couple seasons or maybe last season. Yeah, she yeah, came yeah. on. We did an American Ghost episode because it's supposedly you know uh, we did a. a we full... promoted this during Wild October but, last but year, but yeah. The cool cool thing about this is that you can go in there and see what the entrance looks like. I also got a pretty cool shot, pretty deep in there, so you can kind of visually actually see what you just talked about, Travis, about the two different angles that you're in there. So if I remember right, I think I got that shot. If not, we can definitely post something on that uh, if we, if that's not on there. So keep an eye out for that. But yeah, it's very obvious of what you can see in that gentle slope going into the cave. All that's still there today. Yeah, it's it's interesting now that it really is kind of a no-fly zone, so to speak, as far as exploring. You kind of get a little picture in time of what it was. And there was a little article somewhere, I believe in, uh, I don't know the year, but it was before air conditioning, obviously. And, and there was a huge heat wave in the area. Uh, it was said that people would go into the cave at night to sleep hmm. because of the cool temperatures. Yeah. So I'm like, well, that's pretty. That's a pretty creative solution yeah. to a problem. I don't know how they did it without air conditioning, Chris. I can't tell you how many times, uh, at least once, if not twice, that we had somebody knock on our door at 3 o'clock in the morning because somebody left them at the cave. <laughs> yeah, you weren't far from there. <laughs> no. Just, what, a half mile? Oh, yeah, maybe. Yeah, maybe maybe a mile at the most. But, yeah, we were pretty close to it growing up. So And for good reason, probably. And it's probably a good thing, but most people couldn't get there if they wanted to. No, it's really hard yeah. to get there. And even if you had a general idea of how what roads to take to get there, it's still probably close to a three quarters of a mile walk to get to the cave. And it is not an easy move at all because you have to go up a hill and there's a lot of work and uh it is open it is a state uh facility uh you technically don't need permission to go in there so i mean it is possible you can but i can tell you right now unless you know where you're going you're going to spend a lot of time looking around for something another little tidbit that i saw which who knows exactly how how true it is at one point there was a log cabin that was built above the cave on the ground and it was used as a home for a long time and then huh. maybe as a hunter's lodge. And I think it was donated for kind of a, a kid camp type of use for a while. Hmm. But what's interesting, in this article, it referenced that the building might have been relocated to the Pioneer Village on Quinsippi Island. What? So I don't know. It seems like a long ways to go just yeah, to look at it. In, in some reports, they talk about a crumbling log cabin, which I'm assuming was probably that. But maybe there's a slight chance. I think that's all pretty new construction with the exception of the smokehouse on Quincipi Island, yeah. which is a rock structure they relocated there. But who knows? Maybe there's a little bit of that log cabin that lives on today over on the on the island. Maybe. And I, it is kind of neat. I've never heard that before. And I can tell you that above the cave, which you don't, it's not very hard to get up there. It is completely flat up there. Yeah. Makes so sense. it is super easy. It would have made I think total sense. There was sense definitely a structure there. there. But what, whatever happened to that is probably up, up maybe, to lost to history. Build a house there. That's a great idea. So we'll, we'll put a bookmark there on Burton Cave. We might <laughs> get right. into an interesting story about a madstone. Oh. Uh, the mysterious Burton Madstone in the Patreon episode. Yeah, maybe that one. could be interesting. If you ever get rabies or blood poisoning, it's going to be your, your cure-all. <laughs> Wisdom from the ages talking about. What else have we got? Uh, Dick Brothers Brewery. The tunnels in the caverns were built in 1857. And they were built, I think, after the initial. The way the, the the brewery worked is obviously it's divided among the north and south side of York Street uh, between 9th and 10th. And it originally started on the south. Everything was self-contained. And the, the need for the brewery to have the underground storage, they had, a, they had a big ice cavern that they did ice. They had a fermenting cellar, which led into the tunnels. And it's interesting to really – I haven't yet to actually go down in, on one of these tunnel cavern tours you can do through the brewery. But it was interesting because not having been there in person, there's a lot of descriptions of the actual layout of the, the, the caverns and the tunnels. And so I had a little fun on Google Maps trying to reconstruct what this would look like. And essentially, there's one main tunnel 
that's on the south side of of York Street that kind of goes a little bit into the street and kind of onto the sidewalk uh, lengthwise. And from that, there are three tunnels that run uh, perpend- or a line next to each other laterally uh, to the south. About if that's the bottling house, it's and they're nice because it's, nice it's all labeled on, on the breweries on the top, the signs, and it runs about half a city block south. There were three tunnels at one time, and and it, through the years, there's kind of a vacant looking lot on the western side of the southern part of the brewery. The Dick Brothers homestead used to be in that empty area. And below that homestead was the big ice, the actual, the big ice house, uh, because they didn't have refrigeration, so they needed, you know, ice. And and when that when that homestead came down, uh, which was in around 1940, they had to they had to fill in the big uh, the big large ice storage cellar, and some of the western part of the the main tunnel had to be filled in as well. And contextually, the I know I'll I'll post a photo because it's a little hard to to keep to keep track of everything, but of the three tunnels that ran south from the main tunnel, the westmost uh, was actually pretty much cut in half essentially when they built a large boiler chimney, which still exists today, that runs right down through the middle of what would be the the westmost lateral tunnel. And the the two other tunnels, to some capacity, probably still exist. Uh, but it, it's it was kind of interesting to piece together this puzzle uh, when they built the north facility on the other side of York Street. It pretty much rendered the tunnels unnecessary. So a lot of, for the most part, they were abandoned. I believe they weren't really used after 1885, according to some articles. So they just kind of sat around. There is one uh, small tunnel that would pump beer from the north facility down to uh, some of the storage areas on they utilized on the south that ran under York Street at a bit of an angle. But uh, yeah, it was real interesting. I, I know I have plans to go check out those tunnels when maybe doing something on the Patreon side with that down the road, well, to, to be determined. But very interesting. These might be the most well-known and currently accessible tunnels that kind of gives you a peek into what ha- what was going on in the world of Quincy in the late 1800s. So Travis, I'm taking a quick look because there's a couple of interesting things. So I lived on Kentucky Street mm-hmm. for a while between uh, 9th, 8th and 9th. And so literally I was a cr- like a block away from all this. So, but anyway, I got to look in and there there's a lot of brick buildings. They all look the same in that York area. Those all, were those all dick brothers buildings basically uh on between 9th and 10th north and south of york street those were basically all part of dick brothers huh you'll see there's kind of that emptier area to the to the i guess the western part of below york Mm -hmm. street on the south that's where the home was the initial homestead was they tore that down like i said in 1940 because the brewery needed an actual more of a loading dock because there's just not a lot of room on york street for trucks so they used modern loading docks. Well, at the time, modern loading docks then. <laughs> but, you know, it's it's a great... There's actually a great museum down that they put together as well. We I, I want to explore that more in future. Might have some updates on that. That whole but, facility uh, probably needs to be its own episode. <laughs> oh, absolutely. I, I think it will be. We'll talk breweries in the future. There's a lot to say. While we're on the topic of breweries, let's switch gears and talk about the rough brewery tunnels. Most people have heard of the Rough Brewery. The Dick Brothers Brewery gets a lot of love. The Rough Brewery actually was, uh, you know where Hochelag Florist is now going on South 12th towards yeah. IV? Yeah. Basically, that entire area to the, uh, I guess it'd be to the east of 12th Street, there's a, just a vacant area behind Hochelag. That was all Rough Brewery. And there were at least two verified tunnels that ha- that were there and I don't have a lot of context. I haven't found a lot of good pictures of that labeled a lot of the buildings, at least the ones I'm looking for. But at, at one point there was a 175 12 by 12 brick line tunnel that ran from a brew house to a hop house. And at some point this tunnel partially collapsed and was filled in around 1940. Then there was also a 40 foot tunnel that extended South from the stock house and uh, and this was actually used. The Rough Brewery started making wine as well as as beer when it first started way back a long time ago, and then it gradually went more to beer as as things progressed. 
another stop on the you'll notice here there's a trend most of the time breweries needed tunnels or some kind of storage because they didn't have refrigeration in order to to not limit yourself to making beer only in the winter you needed something and usually that meant underground storage or in this case near the bluff brewery this was located on the north bottom area which is essentially where Bonasinga Drive, kind of the river, the right by the road that runs right next to the river by the Triple Oaks and all those clubs, Chris, where that meets Cook's Lane, right the property directly north of where Cook's Lane comes down. It's it's pretty kind of a ramshackle area. This was where the Bluff Brewery sat, and still visible today. There was actually a photo that was posted on the the Facebook page of uh, you grew up in Quincy, Illinois, there was a metal ladder that goes into the hillside into an opening in the, in the, they had caverns that they stored their beer at at the time. And there's a lot of speculation. Here's where it gets a little iffy that, uh, that this might have even led to a house that was on the basement of a house that was on top of the bluff, whether that was for bootlegging, maybe underground railroad. I mean, who knows? But uh, it was it was shocking to see a close up someone took of the actual metal old metal ladder leading up to the side of the bluff, and uh, yeah, it's uh, the 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 rock was actually it was later used or maybe previously used to quarry rock as well. I think I think for some of Quincy University, so I don't know if QU Stadium some of the rock came from there or some aspect of the Quincy University. So a lot of a lot of activity with the breweries. The next one we're going to jump to is Illinois Veterans Home. And there's a, apparently some people say there's miles of tunnels underneath miles. the Veterans Home. Miles, which is wild to think about. However, what I was able to find, as we all know, there's a lot of things happening at the Veterans Home right now. They are modernizing the facility. A lot of buildings have come down. A lot of buildings are getting built. Well, I ran across uh, some blueprints, or there was like proposed building plans, which clearly lined out where some tunnels existed. A lot of them had to be demolished. But what what happened and what it looks like, from what I can tell, is that a lot of the tunnels follow the this the path of the sidewalks, and and it's kind of a again it's an under kind of underground passageway. If, if bad weather, there's kind of an alternate route to get from place to place. I'm sure utilities are are running through there as well. But I believe, and you know, who knows what if I was looking at was completely modern architectural plans. I believe those those tunnels will be rebuilt into and encompassed into the new facilities as well. So, an interesting case of kind of old and new merging a little bit as far as underground Quincy goes. So, are they used actively used? These tunnels? I, I don't. I don't know. Most of what I've heard is more ancillary information, not so much word of mouth from people who would be in a position to utilize it today. Okay. The other place I have on the list is the Adams County Courthouse, and whenever you say that, you have to get real specific. Yeah, which one? There have been multiple <laughs> ones. Well, we're going to go down to the present day location, which okay. we all know is there off uh, Broadway between what is that Fifth and Sixth? Yes. Yeah, Fifth and Sixth. Well, the site of the third Adams County Courthouse, the one that didn't make it out so well from the 1945 tornado, to help clarify for us. And in 1877, a tunnel existed that ran from the basement of the courthouse to Vermont Street, where there was a coal supply line. And it was it was a big enough tunnel, they had a rail cart system wow. that they would actually transport coal underneath the ground from the street where it was deposited to the actual building. And this was abandoned, possibly filled in the 1920s when it was no longer needed. After, you know, after this, anyways, the whole property came down to make way for the new place. So probably not much left of that. But interesting to think of. Uh, you know, this is just a smattering of the the tunnels that I found that had historical documentation in the newspaper. But boy, that's not all there is, Chris. There's a whole lot of folklore. You might be wondering, what about the Moncton House? Everybody talks about the Moncton House, yeah. and we will, but that's going to have to wait to Patreon because we got way too much to, to, to get into on the main episode. My, my question is, what about Washington Park? That will also be covered. All right. 
we'll have to do that. Well, uh, I think that covers a lot of the stuff that we know, and I'm sure there's a lot more that maybe we don't know. And if we did miss something, let us know. Uh, send us a message on Facebook. Contact us at wildquincy at gmail.com. Let us know what we missed because we'll be curious to see. Maybe we'll come back to it in a future episode. But that is a look at what's uh, crawling underground in Quincy. And we'll have more after this on Wild Quincy. <laughs> And collect your fee, but don't touch the sides. Take out the ribs carefully. Operation. Collect a thousand dollar fee. Operation. This broken heart won't do. Operation. I'm the doctor for you. How's it look? Good to me. Operation. Well, Travis. That was a fun game back in the day. Operation, did you have one? Uh, my grandparents had one of probably the original ones. <laughs> wow. And it was just as obnoxious as that commercial. <laughs> Boy, that's something. Man. Yeah. That uh, They turned that up to 11. Yeah, they did. Uh, so did you ever actually play the game? Yes. yes. Did you really? Many I never times. did. All I did was just touch the sides, you know, get the little button. Do they still have it? Is it still existing? Yes, it's still going. At least it was. I remember commercials from when my kids were, well, they're still young, but younger to where I would actually, there's not really commercials for cartoons because there's not really cartoons Saturday morning anymore. But yeah, uh, yeah, I think it still exists, Chris. It's, it's, It's matured a bit. Still is obnoxious. Modernized a little bit? Slightly. I mean, it's still pretty weird, but yeah. Yeah, it's it is kind of weird of that game. Um, did you always think when you first got it that you couldn't touch the side you because you would electrocute yourself, or was that just me? Nah. Well, the sound of that buzzer was so obnoxious that might as well a, a minor electrocution might have been better than <laughs> than the sound of that buzzer in your your uh, ears. It's, it was so scary. Oh, it was intense. Yeah, it was crazy. Yeah, so scary. Uh, so yeah, so that is a look at our uh, throwback ad. Something a little bit different. That ad coming from 1994. So something a little bit different for you guys. Are we ready to bring out the golden pipes, Travis? Oh, I'm always ready for that. And now it's time for words of wisdom from Adams County. So we dig into the wisdom and wit of our forefathers and foremothers. And I'm still looking, Travis, for our T-shirt idea for forefathers mm. and foremothers. Mm. That'd be fun. Plus, we have o- some new ones coming out. Open to right? input from listeners. We got some new ones coming out, possibly. Yeah, the the uh, chars and birches on every corner is a new shirt <laughs> that uh, a little little uh, you know little post uh, Im- Im- imbibing spin on all the bars and churches in Quincy. Nice. So that's now available on the uh, the store, which you can access on the merch link at wildquincy.com. How's Werepig coming? Mm. Work in progress, Chris. <laughs> Work in progress. If you missed out, listen to, uh, I think it was that the last episode or two episodes we talked about the Werepig. Uh, it might have been the last one. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Well, yeah, check that out on a previous episode. And actually, it applies to what we're going to talk about for the wisdom and wit from our forefathers and foremothers. Uh, we go back to, I had to go back a little bit. I still haven't put a post yet. Yeah, you'll be looking for that. We need some new numbers. We're getting uh, getting down to it. But uh, I went back to the old one because I still have from the first original one that I posted yeah. of all the people. And there were still a few numbers left. And so I turned to uh, Ginger Stefan Madison. She gave us a number of 1687. And when I came to this, I went, well, isn't that appropriate? Uh, so this is in the poultry and eggs section. Okay. All right, 1687. A woman who formerly lived near Marblehead said that she could not raise chickens there because the blasting at the lime kiln quarries always destroyed the eggs. Words of wisdom from Adams County. Wow. Isn't that ironic? I, I imagine the blasting back then was probably a lot less controlled. <laughs> it than was modern probably a technology. little more dangerous. Yeah. I imagine you felt that pretty well from above ground. Yeah. Eggs definitely were not safe above ground yeah, in the in that time period. Hope so. you're, you're hungry for the scrambled variety. 
<laughs> All right. Uh, remember, be on the lookout. We'll put that on our Facebook page. We always appreciate those numbers, uh, getting some new numbers from you guys. But, uh, Travis, you ready for this question of the day? Yeah, I've been thinking. I, I feel like I think I know, but I'm, I've said that before and been wrong, so we'll see. Well, let's find out. The question's this. For nearly 100 years, uh, the uh, CB&Q Railroad, which was the Chicago, Burlington, and Quincy Railroad, was the way to get from Quincy to Chicago. Not much of the railroad remains today, except for one building. And the question's this, Travis. Where is that building located? What's your thoughts? Well, I, I feel like this was definitely part of a railroad, which I can't imagine too many others utilizing this. Um, what's interesting is a lot of people don't know this, but the railroads were utilized Quincipi Island to do actually a turn hmm. a turnaround. Uh, they kind of did a C. They it wasn't in, West Quincy. Uh, no, no, it actually came in north of Quincy, went over across the island where the 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 Quincy act the road access is to Quincipi Island. Yep. Now that was a railroad bridge. It okay. went over that bridge and went down the island and came back across where the pier used to be, where there was a bridge, so it could be coming into the downtown. Wow. And being that is the case, I believe the remaining building lies at the southwest corner of 2nd and Broadway. Nice. That would be correct. You can still make out some signage if you are to take 3rd Street uh, north. I believe you can see uh, soft drinks and kind of up above the, uh, the, the kind of doors and whatnot, there's some faded signs, that drinks, maybe snacks. It's kind of, you can barely wow. make it out. But uh, yeah, and I believe just across the street was a hub for the trolley system as well. Um, uh, one of the buildings got demolished not too long ago. But yeah. So the other sign that I noticed, it's on the Broadway section going down underneath the bridge. It says it says Burlington Route in a big right. sign, and that's right. faded that's right. over the years. Yeah, but yeah. That is the CB and Q. That was actually the uh, freight office. It was located Second and Broadway Street. There's a cool picture that I came across that is in the uh, archives, I believe, for the Illinois archives it might be congress uh, archives but it, from 1968 and the picture looks the building looks exactly the same i'd love to today. get in that building and look around. oh gosh yeah would that be fun Boy. if you look at the back too if you get a chance uh, you can do this on google images or you could do it just go in there and see it but if you're going up the hill going up broadway take a look at the back of the building the back of the building looks like it had entrances for trains to go in and you could tell where it's closed off because it's really tall but it almost looks like that might have been train entrances back in the back in the day in the back of the main building but again take a look down second street just drive down second street sometime and every time i go by there i'm like man this building is massive <laughs> and it is a huge building that goes straight down second street so um, make sure to check that out but it's pretty cool and by the way there's another sign, Travis, that is, I, I can't tell what it says, but it looks like it has an arrow pointing in a certain direction. That picture was taken in 1968. That sign is still there today, too, and that's oh, a wooden I, sign. I love that kind of like before and after like time yeah. lapse. That's always yeah. so cool. It's very cool. So there you go. That is a look. But Travis, we're not talking about, even though we probably should at some time, talk about railroads in Quincy. Uh, we're talking about somebody that may... Uh, have been on one of those railroads that stayed in a certain house. I know that felt like a stretch to get there, but I got there. So what are we going to talk about in the next episode? Thankfully, I know where you're going with this, but it was <laughs> a little murky. No, you know what? I tell you, everybody knows about the Moncton House. And if you don't, you have you know it, but if you don't know the name of it, the Red Brick uh, 1419 Locust Street, you know, the, mo the Quincy Mob House. Well, we're going to take a look at the guy who didn't build the house, Chris, but he definitely occupied it and ran some questionable activities out of it. The man being Leo Moncton, uh, a fixture in Quincy, made the paper quite often with some nefarious activities. Kind of a polarizing figure. Some people loved him. Some people not so much. We're going to figure out the good and the bad in this next episode and see if we can't paint a picture of the man. Leo Moncton, coming up next time. That'll be a fun episode. We'll dig into that. We'll dig into maybe that uh, the criminal mastermind that might have spent some time there as well, the union leader. Someone um, with a certain scar on their face, Chris. <laughs> we'll be talking about that in the upcoming episode. For you Patreon fans, we'll be back next week with those folklores of the underground of Quincy, so be listening for that. But before we wrap up, Travis, are we missing anything? 
no, just thanks everybody for listening. Uh, tell a friend. I ran into a, a bartender down at the stateroom uh, just the other night who I had my wild Quincy hat on, and he was a listener and really enjoyed the Chuck Schultz episode, which is oh. a great one indeed. But uh, it's always fun to hear uh, somebody firsthand is actually listening and can, can quote you, not just <laughs> saying something. So uh, it's always fun. So, we, we, yeah, thanks for listening. And that's all I got, Chris. All right. Well, sounds good. Well, for Travis Hoffman, I'm Chris Ketters. And you've been listening to Wild Quincy. We'll catch you guys next time. Take care, everybody. Wild Quincy is released every other Tuesday and is produced by Chris Ketters and Travis Hoffman. Sound designed by Downdraft Sound and Editing and music by Travis Hoffman Music. I'm Bo Beecraft, and thanks for listening to Wild Quincy. Wild Quincy.